Welcome back, everyone. I'm here with Preston Dennett. Uh, we're on the we're talking about the general topic of uh, UFOs and the, the research that he's done on contactees and a number of other areas. Uh, today, we're going to talk a little bit about you know what the government may or may not know about this particular topic based on. Uh, Preston's personal experience, particularly in the data that he's gathered from uh, talking to contactees and other folks who have had various experiences. So Preston, how much does the government know about all this stuff? Um, I think this is just my assessment based on having, you know, surveyed the literature, which is vast, and interviewed several hundred people including you know navy officers and uh people who within the military industrial complex uh i think our government knows a lot more than most ufo researchers know and probably most experiencers i think they've got a very good handle on this i think they know exactly what this is and have for a long time since pre-roswell since like 1943, the Battle of L.A., uh, there was a wave of sightings over Los Angeles, which basically caused a blackout. And uh, thousands of people saw this. Um, you can see the photographs of this object hovering over Culver City. Searchlights are fixed on it. Uh, and it's never been explained. And there was a cover-up enacted. We now have documentation proving that this did happen. And... Uh, According to some of the researchers who've really dug in on this, there is documentation saying we shot these things down during that incident. Two craft were recovered pre-Roswell. And you know, I've written a bunch of books on this subject, and a number of them were about various states, UFOs over California, uh, New York, Arizona, Nevada, New Mexico, and Colorado. And all of them, every single one of them, had crash retrieval incidents. Uh, our government knows what this is. They know it's extraterrestrial. And they've known for a very long time. And there are reports that this is hoaxes, hallucinations, or misperceptions, which is what they put forth to the mm -hmm. public, is 100% disingenuous. They absolutely know what this is. And that's based on... You know, not only whistleblower reports, but documentation, you know, full on declassified government documents, some of which are controversial, but some of which appear to be 100% genuine. Uh, I mean, this Citizens Against UFO Secrecy cause sued the NSA to get documents released on this. And it went to, you know, trial. And the judge said, no, we're, I'm not releasing this. This would damage the intelligence agency's ability to deal with this subject. And the documents that were released were 20 pages completely blacked out, every single word. Uh, so why would the NSA be? Because the NSA generally deals with communications and things like that. Like, are you, is, are you saying that there's some possibility that the NSA intercepted communications between these devices or? Uh, I think this is probably one of the priorities as near as I can tell between many intelligence agencies, which are largely compartmentalized. 
Right. You know, so each of them is sort of approaching it from their own angle. The FBI, the CIA, the NSA, Air Force, uh, the Navy. A lot of this leads back to the Navy, who seems to be one of the early ones who did a lot of research on this. Uh, but they all seem to be very interested in it. And we have evidence of this from documents from all these uh, intelligence agencies that they take this subject very seriously and have for a very long time. Um, let me just tell you one story of a gentleman I interviewed by the name of Mel Hansen, who was involved in a really famous incident at Malmstrom Air Force Base in March of 1967. This is quite well known in the UFO community in which some 20 uh, nuclear-tipped intercontinental ballistic missiles were basically shut down when UFOs showed up one evening and all these uh, missiles went offline. And these are separate systems. You know, they're not connected to each other. And the gentleman I interviewed was a firsthand witness. Uh, Michael Sala, I, I think uh, Captain Sala was the first guy, Robert Sala, I'm sorry, uh, to uh, basically talk about this. And he was there at the time. He didn't see this himself. Now there's been a number of other witnesses. And the gentleman I interviewed saw this on TV. Thought, well, I guess I can talk now. Because he was told not to talk, that he would lose his job. But he's quite elderly. All the people involved with him have since passed away. And he wanted to do his part for disclosure. And he said he was at Malmstrom doing security maintenance or on one of these missile sites and he was topside his crew was he was the chief of the crew and his crew was down below um just making sure everything was right when one of these objects showed up and he said he couldn't really tell you the shape of it because it was quite a dark night but it blocked off the stars it was a couple hundred feet directly over this missile and it went offline and he says almost as soon as it went offline, it went back online with the failsafe of the uh, diesel generator, which put it right back online. And he said moments later, it went offline again. And it went back on with battery power. And then that went offline. And he's, of course, reporting this to the base itself, which is you know many miles away, because these are all quite widely spaced apart. And they're like, stay in your Jeep. Don't go out there. Don't look at this thing. Just stay there and we're, we'll come and get you. We're sending people over right now. And he, of course, did go outside and look at this thing. Uh, and everyone was freaking out, of course. And it moved off. The security people came, shipped him back to base. And he was given a very stern debriefing not to talk about this. You didn't see anything. Don't even talk about it with your friends. Uh, it didn't happen. And there's documentation of this, though no mention of the actual UFO, uh, but about the missiles going offline, which right. they gave their explanation for it. Uh, but it's a very well-documented case, which shows how interested these objects are in nuclear bases. This is the sort of thing that has happened in numerous nuclear bases. And shows that our government is taking this very seriously and they know what it is. This is ETs. And in that case, they were sending a message about the dangers of nuclear power. 
I can only imagine from a military standpoint how the you know the suits, the the high ranking guys. Oh, it's terrifying, right? Yeah. I mean, like even it it almost doesn't even matter how it happened. The fact that the nuclear systems were compromised is explosive enough that they wouldn't want the yeah. Soviets to learn about that. Like, like regardless of of the cause, right? Well, I mean, the cause is important, but the reason they'd want to keep it quiet is that there's something out there that has the capability to render us impotent, right? Yeah, yeah from a from military standpoint, it has to be considered a threat, yeah. even though it's clearly not because they did not destroy them. They did not harm the missiles. They leave, you know, the... Yeah, I mean, that could have gone... That could have gone... That could have gone really wrong, right? Like if they if they really wanted um, had real malintent, they could have just detonated the things. Yeah, it's very clear, and I think this is something pretty much all researchers agree upon that whatever we're dealing with, whether you whether whether you believe its origins being extraterrestrial or what have you, it's extremely technologically advanced. Uh, we're dealing with a technology that's very clear among experiencers and researchers alike. I think that's the one thing that people agree upon. And real quick, Jim and Coral Lorenzen were pioneering researchers and formed the first UFO citizens group, APRO, the Aerial Phenomenon Research Organization. Uh, really, real pioneers in this field were collecting reports and doing field investigations. Saw this pattern of them hovering over anything technological and so they would see a factory being built or a new airbase and they would go there and they said we know sightings are going to come over this dam that's being built and sure enough there would be a cluster of sightings and this again speaks to who or what these things are and what their agenda is well here's are, here's here's a here's here's a natural um question that would come from what you're just talking about do these uh ufos also appear during conflicts. And the reason I'm asking very obviously is because what's going on right now between, you know, in Russia and Ukraine, um, you know, so question one, do they appear more often during military conflicts? And then question two, have there been any sightings, you know, look, it's only been 16 or 17 days, but have there been any sightings um, in that, in that conflict? Yes. Yeah, there is absolutely. I mean, if you look on the UFO Facebook groups, and uh, there are some pretty compelling eyewitness reports of strange activity over the conflict in Ukraine right now. Oh, oh you're saying yes to the second question. Wow. Yeah. And yes to Vietnam. There's a huge number of reports uh, during the Vietnam conflict. Uh, so, yes, there does seem to be a connection there. It's not an area where I've done a whole lot of firsthand research. Right. Well, Most it's only, my, like I said, it's, the conflict is 17 days old, right? So I'm surprised that there's even, they've been able to tabulate things that that quickly. Yeah. Afghanistan had a whole cluster of sightings during a conflict there. Um, this is absolutely something that does turn up. Uh, but again, that's something I follow, but don't research firsthand. Um, I'm not super well connected to that. Uh, I'm mostly focusing on co contactees, experiencers, where I think there's mm -hmm. a lot of pay dirt in terms of information. 
uh, as to who these beings are and what they're, why they're here. But this is absolutely, it's clear that they're watching over all of this stuff very closely. And if you talk to the contactees, uh, yes, this is a major concern of theirs, um, is our problems with our warlike ways. Do you think that, or have you, I, I, I should re rephrase this question. Have you seen any data to indicate that there have been or has been contact between any of these entities and factions within the U.S. government or the U.S. government very broadly? Have you seen anything like that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a, a story that's quite rampant in the field that President Nixon showed Jackie Gleason alien bodies at uh, Homestead Air Force Base in Florida. Um, there's that sort of thing. Um, and a number of cases where these objects are hovering over Air Force bases of all kinds. Probably the granddaddy of the story like this is 1954 at Edwards Air Force Base with President Eisenhower, who disappeared supposedly during a golf tournament. And the press went crazy because they couldn't find him. And there were even press reports that he had died of a heart attack, which was withdrawn quickly. And he said, no, it's just a dental emergency. Researchers tracked down the dentist and said, no. Uh, I mean, this is a story that started having rumors flying around from day one that President Eisenhower and leaders in really all aspects of our society, uh, Bishop McIntyre was there, supposedly Albert Einstein, uh, leaders of there's a rocket scientist, um, leaders of the Is that von, von Braun press. or a different or a different rocket engineer? Um, it was a different guy. I forget his name. Um, but leaders in every aspect of society, from religion to science to UFOs and uh, all these different people, politics, had supposedly arranged a meeting with ETs in. I think this was February of 1954 at Edwards Air Force Base. And rumors started flying out from the very beginning. And it's only just piled on. And it's been fairly well authenticated. And most researchers who have looked into it believe there's something to this, even skeptical ones, uh, because there are testimony coming from, you know, people who are fairly well known, have good resumes. Uh, mm -hmm. who have come forth and said, yes, this happened. Um, General Lovekin, who was an aide to President Eisenhower, has talked about this. And Don Phillips, a guy who was you know, a contractor for the military. And um, there's been a number of first-hand eyewitness testimonies of people who were there at that base, which said that basically UFOs landed, human-looking ETs came out, put on a display, showed how they could, you know, turn their craft invisible, uh, fly around real quickly. And there was apparently some sort of diplomatic discussion where we wanted to, their technology. And they said, no, we're not doing that. You need to stop what you're doing with nuclear, your nuclear program. Um, it's very dangerous. You got to stop doing it. And we did not want to do that. And, uh, they wanted to educate us spiritually and they wanted us to disclose. And we did not want to do that, fearing, you know, repercussions with 
society, business, and religion, and so forth. Uh, so it was basically a standoff, ultimately, where they wanted our, our technology, or I mean, we wanted technology, and they refused to give it. Uh, so there's, I don't know how well authenticated something like this can be based on just pure eyewitness testimony, but the more research that's done into it seems to verify that something like this did occur and is not a one-off that probably occurred in other countries. I mean, there's cases like this at uh, uh, White Sands, New Mexico, or Holloman Air Force Base, rather, and uh, other Air Force bases. You know, Rendlesham apparently had an incident like this in England. So this is something that does seem to have occurred, limited diplomatic relations. But as far as I can tell, I mean, there are talks about treaties. You know, we exchange technology for allowing abductions to occur. This is a pretty strong rumor going through the field, and I have not been able to authenticate that. What's your what's your gut say on that? That that's just not real. That's not. It doesn't no, fit in I, line with their intentions. I'm coming from you know my angle as a researcher into contactees. No, <laughs> the ETs say that they did not do that. They have told people this. Um, so I don't know. I can't say for sure. I've tracked this down to a few researchers within, within the field who have put this forth. I can't. I don't know. But as far as I can tell, I have not found the evidence for that compelling. There's not really good reporting on it. There's good reporting on you know diplomatic relations, but the actual tr so-called treaty, um, I have not found really compelling evidence for that. Me personally, my humble opinion, uh, there are other researchers who may disagree, uh, but I'm really trying to stick to the facts as we know it because there's a million rabbit holes in this thing. It's so easy to speculate and it, the stories get wild. It's wild enough already. With people being taken on board a craft and meeting, you know, ETs. Uh, so I try to stick to the facts as best as I can and verify what you can you've had uh, you know at least met briefly with the former canadian defense minister is that right yes paul hellyer and what an honor that is because this is the highest ranking official as far as i know to really come forth in a very vocal way saying that ets are real they are ets uh, we have the craft there's multiple species and so forth and uh, I met him not long before he passed away at a conference where he was speaking and approached his table and bought some of his books. And I can tell you he's a very kind man, very sincere. It was just a brief conversation, but I wanted to hear it from his own mouth. And uh, yeah, he's, he's absolutely insisting that this is a real phenomenon. And to hear someone like him saying this and putting his reputation on the line. He's not the only one. There's Senator Reed from Nevada. Yep. And you know, now we have all kinds of senators and representatives. And President Jimmy Carter said he saw one and he talked about it. And Ronald Reagan did too, not publicly, but he did tell a reporter. And once he realized what he was saying, he clammed up pretty quick. But President Reagan also talked about, you know, he made three very public statements about the possibility of a quote, alien threat. Uh, so this is something that's seriously discussed 
I mean, Governor Fife Simonton initially denied the Phoenix Lights and later came out. Now he's a pastry chef and retired, uh, but says he was a witness and it was not human. What he saw was, he believes, extraterrestrial technology. So there are a lot of people who are very highly placed within government or within military. General MacArthur talked about it. Um, lots of people within government. If you look into it, if you do your homework, I think you'll be shocked to see how seriously this is subject is taken within uh, government circles. And then why would the government be so keen on discrediting, disinforming, or discouraging people from reporting these sightings and incidents? Yeah, well, I think first of all, we have to say what, when we say government, we have to be really careful because I think most people within government are probably um, absolutely open to this and wanting to mm -hmm. disclose it, but are, you know, presidents and senators and representatives and governors are not necessarily the ones who are behind the cover up but may be in the loop to some degree. Ultimately, it appears to be the military industrial complex who's behind this and the sh often termed the shadow government or <sighs> we don't know precisely who's doing this, but it's the highest ranking in the militaries, which seems to be behind this cover up. And I think there's multiple reasons for it. And it's really a matter of speculation, but as near as I can tell, the main reason is one, this was a policy that was adopted from the very beginning mm -hmm. uh, when we were trying to determine what exactly this was. And the fact that this was something that could abduct people, could shut down our nuclear missiles, could travel our skies with impunity, and there was nothing we could do to stop them, uh, was perceived as a threat. And so this was something that was kept secret. And that was a policy they adopted early on and, and have stuck to. So it's sort of just, they've painted themselves into that corner. And that's the way they've dealt with this from the beginning. And I think another reason is, you know, ultimately we have this technology. Uh, that's what the stories, this is what the evidence is showing us, I should say. And so, this is a very, very sensitive subject, and it comes down to power and greed and money and control. And I think that's the driving force behind this cover-up is the fact that we do have an oil-based economy, you know, that we do make millions upon billions of dollars off of you know, the pharmaceutical industry, off of the insurance industry, off of the oil industry, fossil fuels. And all of that would be completely um, turned over by the release of alien technology, which could heal people of a wide variety of illnesses, which we're seeing among contactees, or free energy. Um, this would rock religion to its core. This would be a real shakeup. And I think this is one of the driving forces behind the cover-up, which is ending to some degree. And I think what we're seeing now is disclosure simply because our own governments have reached a point where it's saturated our society to the point where if they do not disclose, they will look like fools. Mm -hmm. the, the evidence is there. Um, people know UFOs are real. The evidence speaks to this loud and clear. 
And for them to say there's nothing to this makes them look not credible. So they have to, to retain any control over people's perception of this phenomena, admit that there is at least something to it. Um, I don't think they're disclosing out of the goodness of their hearts for the benefit of the people. Uh, and I'm, I'm not so sure they even have our best interests in mind, to be perfectly honest, just judging on the unequal distribution of wealth in our society and the divisiveness that's put forth and the fact that we have companies who are selling war weapons to both sides and encouraging conflict. Um, I'm concerned about this. So I am not so sure they really even want to disclose. Uh, it's a very difficult situation to wrap your head around why this cover-up is still in place. Because it seems to me it would be to everyone's benefit to throw our best minds at this, to approach this from a public, open, transparent angle and solve this issue. But that's not what we're seeing. So for whatever reason, there is a cover-up. I think it ultimately does come down to greed, power, and corruption, money. Now, have you ever been approached by anyone in government to silence you or to, uh, to trick you and to, in order to discredit you? Um, I can't say for sure, but, but certainly there has been some weird stuff that's happened. And I'm, I know I'm not alone with this because <laughs> uh, there are UFO researchers who have found out that they are surveilled and do have massive files in intelligence agencies. And that happened to Jim and Coral Lorenzen. They were infiltrated by the CIA. <laughs> they caught them at it. Uh, and I have had some weird stuff happen. I've had a lot of phone problems uh, to the point where it's clicking and there's voices and static. And I mean, it's... I can't say for sure whether some, you know, I've been bugged, but I know UFO researchers who were in a position to research that and found out that, yes, they did, in fact, have bugs on their phones. So I suspect, yes, I had a lot of problems with mail early on. Uh, we talked about this before the show, where a lot of my manuscripts, you know, I was sending articles out to magazines and newspapers and journals and books to publishers invariably, more often than not, would come back opened, blazed blatantly, ripped open. And uh, that was disturbing to me. I'm like, this Well, that's almost, that's almost not even surreptitious, right? They want you to know that they were going through your mail. Yeah. So that's the message. Whoever and, was doing it, right? And, and this was not an open mailbox. I lived in a secure building with a locked mailbox. So somewhere along the lines, it was being intercepted. And I've still had problems with this. I just ordered my new book from Amazon and it got, it never reached me. And it was sent back by some mysterious party. Amazon contacted me like, oh, thank you for returning your book. I'm like, I didn't return it. <laughs> it ended up in Kentucky somewhere. I've never had that happen. And so, I mean, just weird stuff like this. And uh, I'll be speaking at a convention and the guy in a suit shows up with a tie and slick back hair and mirrored sunglasses and kind of grinning at me and he's just ooh, i mean if, if he's cia i don't know or not but he certainly wants to give that impression uh and he stands out like a sore thumb and so kind of looking at me like what's your latest case what what are you working on now 
And I'm like, oh, you know, I'm very open with my research. I publish everything I can as soon as I can. So I have nothing to hide. Um, and I will tell them uh, to a certain degree. But when they sit down in the audience and start standing up and, uh, what's the word, Debu you know, debunking or heckling, that's the word I'm looking yeah. for. Um, I remember I was talking about, you know, this wave of sightings over Topanga where cars were being chased down, down the road by these objects and they were landing and, you know, people were being taken on board and 20, 30 people were witnesses to one event on one night. And he stands up and is telling me, oh, this is weather phenomena. And people, people were looking at him like, are you out of your mind? And I just started going down the list very calmly. I'm like, why this isn't, you know, ball lightning. Um, but he was seriously trying to, you know, dis discredit me. I think the ultimate, I mean, weird stuff. I remember one time I mentioned this to you. Uh, I'm pulling out of my condo, which was a little private drive. And trying to pull onto Van Owen, and this car comes to a screeching stop right in the middle of the road, and some guy takes my picture. I'm like, that was weird. Switzerland. I mean, I can't say for sure that I was the target, but he's pointing his camera at me. <laughs> and my first thought was, like, is he taking a picture of the building? You know, is he a real estate agent? And is there someone next to me? Is there something going on? No, nope. he was pointing the camera at me and then took off. That was weird to me yeah. and the ultimate incident of this kind was right in the middle of the topanga canyon ufo wave i'm a brand new researcher this is like 92 93 i just really started buckling in i'd become a mufon field investigator and i'd given the police my number i put up flyers i was going door to door i was hiking around there at night trying to see it myself which i eventually did and i've seen this stuff myself yeah, was actually, that was actually one of my last <laughs> questions. If you've had any experiences, but let's yeah, let's finish this story and then I, let's let's cover that story because I'm genuinely intrigued by that. Yeah, so I'm in the middle of this major wave and I'm interviewing people right and left. I've got interviews lined up. And I'm talking to police officers. I'm talking to doctors and military guys and you know, good witnesses, trained observers, and of course. I even interviewed a homeless guy <laughs> uh, who's, who was an, a multiple, you know, a witness to a multiple witness case. Mm -hmm. And he lived there behind the local store in the creek. So uh, I get this call. You know, my phone number was out there on the flyers. And uh, this guy calls me. He's like, are you Preston Dennett? And I said, yes. And he says, are you the Preston Dennett who's doing the UFO research? And I said, yes. Who am I speaking with? And I can't remember if he gave me his name or not. I believe he did. Uh, I don't remember what it was because this was actually really shocking to me in my first incident of this kind. And uh, I knew I'm gung-ho. I was ready to die for this subject. Uh, seriously, I believe in life after death. I feel like we're immortal beings. Uh, I don't care. Threaten me. Uh, that's That was my attitude as a very young man. You know, you're you're all guts and glory when you're young and uh so he calls me and he starts saying oh well i am highly placed within the military i'm like oh really he says yes i worked in vietnam i've got a top secret clearance i did satellite mapping i know my stuff and he's going on and on about his position within the military 
I'm like, okay, why are you contacting me? He says, you should not be studying UFOs. um, It's not what you think it is. I said, oh, okay, what is it? And uh, he says, you're barking up the wrong tree. You know, you don't know what you're getting into. I said, okay, what am I getting into? And uh, he says, well, it's not what you think it is. I'm like, well, you kind of already said that. <laughs> he says, you're barking up the wrong tree. I'm like, okay. And he kept talking in circles like this. Right. And he says, what you're actually doing is very dangerous. You know that. Um, you could get hurt. I thought, oh, is this guy threatening me? Because <laughs> that's what it was coming across as. I mean, he wasn't you know, outright threatening me, but this is... Yeah, it's sort of, implied. Yeah, absolutely implied. And I was actually a little bit flattered at this point. I'm like, oh, I'm being noticed. You know, who is this guy? And uh, we were just going back and forth with this. And finally, he says, he says, you shouldn't investigate this because there's no pater in it. And this is when I wanted to really go at him and say, no pater, huh? Chump, there's no pater. Why, how can this possibly be dangerous? If there's yeah. nothing to this, then yeah, what's the problem? The game. Yeah. And uh, that's when it, uh, the conversation basically ended. So uh, I just terminated the conversation at this point. And uh, so, yeah, there's been some limited, what I think would be interference. And I suspect that, yeah, there are files kept on all UFO researchers. And that to some extent I am surveilled because I've talked to contactees and they've had their houses broken into and their hypnosis tapes stolen or their photographs stolen. One lady I'm working with, I watched it happen. <laughs> you know, we had gone to a UFO conference, her first ever, because most contactees don't really follow this phenomena. But, and uh, we had rented a little Airbnb and this car comes swooping and it blocks the driveway. <laughs> And I'm luck, luck, Dolly. And she's like, see, this is what I live with. I'm telling you, this is something that I live with daily. Because uh, she has a lot of experiences. Uh, she proved her case to me. She, I mean, she called a UFO down. Hey, tell me about that. Like, uh, you, you, know, you investigate these cases. Have you had any personal experiences related to the phenomena? Yeah, that was my first thing when I'm like, oh, this is real. You know, this is in my family. This tracks families. I have two nephews who've seen it, two sister-in-laws who've had very close encounters. My brother, um, have I? Don't think so. I, I look throughout my childhood. I'm like, well, I, I need to see this stuff. Because, mm-hmm. you know, talking to these people is all well and good. But I am not going to believe it until I see it. Because there's such a thing as belief and there's knowledge. And knowledge yeah, really... Yeah, you can believe in something. But to know something is much more powerful because you've personally experienced yeah. it. Yeah, and that's the only pathway to true knowledge is experience, period. You won't know until you've experienced it. That's just what it comes down to. It's an unfortunate fact of life. Uh, And so I wanted to experience this, and I did, because I was out there at night in these fields looking where when people were reporting it. I did start seeing anomalous lights. And as someone who came into this field as a skeptic and became even more skeptical, just because something's darting around up there, I'm like, mm, that's a light. And yeah, it's not conventional and it's not obeying the laws, but I, mm, how can I say this is alien? 
I can't. But then one evening during this time, actually 1992, during this wave, I was driving home through Woodland Hills late at night after talking to my brother and sister-in-law who were helping me through all this because it was emotionally taxing on me and uh, had just left their house. This was late July of 1992 when I, I saw what I thought was a bird swooping towards my car. And I thought, well, maybe that's a firecracker because it's glowing, whatever this is, and it's small. But it wasn't a firecracker. It was an orb, a glowing orb about the size of a golf ball or maybe a tennis ball in between the two. Swoops down from 300 feet above me at the right and stops in front of my windshield. And when you see something like this, your brain starts working overtime to identify it. And I'm thinking reflection, reflection, this has got to be a reflection, even though it clearly wasn't because mm -hmm. you're moving your head and you, you can see. And then it moves back and forth in front of my windshield, as close as I am to the computer now. Just a, a soft orange-white orb, yellow-white, and uh, hard edges, and a sense of intelligence to it, just the way it was moving. I mean, it stopped right in front of my face <laughs> and then darts upward. And that was it. And that's what I would always tell people my, was my first sighting of about a dozen, I should, I should say, and much more dramatic moving forward. But that was the first. And I, I would always end the story there until someone said, well, what happened next? I mean, didn't you turn around and tell your brother-in-law or your brother and your sister-in-law? I'm like, huh, you know, no, I didn't. They were, and I should have. And in fact, I actually completely forgot about it. It left my mind, uh, which I would interview people who'd talk about this. Like, yeah, I saw a UFO and then we didn't talk about it. And in fact, I forgot about it. Like, how could you possibly forget a saucer landing in the road in front of you? Well, I get it now. There's an, an amnesia aspect to this that they will impose on you. Um, I think this is what's going on. So that happened to me. I think I had missing time. I honestly do, but it took me a long time to come to that. But I started, that was a big year for me. I had another sighting with my brother and sister-in-law at Critter Lake later that year where an mm -hmm. object appeared and we blinked at it with this huge flashlight and it blinked back at us intelligently. And then later I joined the group CSETI that year, which is the Center for the Study of Extraterrestrial Intelligence founded by Dr. Stephen Greer, who's quite prominent in this field. And we would call down anomalous lights, you know, late at night. And I'm still, I wasn't sure. And my real, like, oh gosh, this, I am connected to this phenomenon now, happening when I was, had interviewed this lady, a contactee, who was having full on contact real quick. Mm -hmm. uh, was full on abductee, you know, being taken on board, being shown alien babies, half human, half alien, I and mean, just crazy stuff. Like, I don't know if I can believe this woman. I know, I'm sure she believes it, which I always hate it when people say that. I'm like, oh, I think you believe it. But uh, that's where I was at. I'm like, this is a lot to wrap my head around. And I'm mm -hmm. transcribing her interview, how she described aliens and come around her bed and she jumped up and kicked one and apparently broke its neck. I'm like, oh gosh, could this possibly be true? And that's when I got a very strong, irresistible impulse to go onto the roof of my condo, which I couldn't resist. 
And before I knew what was happening, I was on the roof, which is closed to the public. You're not allowed to go up there. And I'm a good boy. I don't. And I've been up there just to check it out. But I don't go up there. You're not supposed to. And I do wear glasses for driving. I grab my glasses for whatever reason. Because I'm slightly nearsighted. And I was up there maybe 10, 20 seconds, not long, thinking, what, a, what am I doing up here? When a light appeared across the street, and it was a big oval, maybe 10 feet across, orange, white light, kind of fiery looking. And it blasted me with a message. And uh, I can tell you, I've never had anything like that before. Uh, and it was really shocking to have something communicate to you mentally. Uh, and it said basically, hi, it's us. We're Wendy ZTs. That's not her real name. I'll just call her Wendy. It's us. You know, you know, you don't believe we're real. Watch this. And it wasn't in words. It was a concept which hit me hard and was very understandable. Um, I mean, they, it's like, hi, it's us. You don't believe. Watch this. That was the message. And this darn thing was right above the apartment building across the way there 200 feet away over the little la river in a parking lot right over the apartment building on the opposite side of the la river and starts starting around like this back and forth back and forth back and forth back and forth getting lower and lower and lower until it's below the tree level and in front of the apartment building and then winks out it was maybe 10 20 seconds but i'm like oh okay <laughs> I got it. I believe, you know, I called Wendy up. I'm like, oh my God, you wouldn't believe this. They came, they came. And she's like, I told you, I told you. And she ended up, I'm like, I want to see them again. Can you call them down? And she said, okay. She says, I'm in telepathic contact with them. And she did. I couldn't believe it. And I brought my sister-in-law and my nephew and her. And we pulled off the freeway in Pasadena. And she says, they said they'd come here on this hill. We have to climb to the top of this hill and they'll show up. And I went up there with her and my sister-in-law and nephew fell behind us a couple hundred yards. We reached the top of this hill and she screams, grabs me by the shoulders and spins me around. And there's this object. And this time it's 50 feet away and it's as big as a house. And it's a perfect sphere and it's covered with golden lights. It's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Um, I can't even describe it. It's so beautiful. It's large 20 feet off the ground 50 feet not away. a saucer like a sphere a sphere covered with golden light lots of little golden lights and i can't say it was metallic looking because the lights were so bright mm -hmm. but it was perfectly silent and it hovered there in place and we are just jump i had a camera didn't think of it when you see something like this you cannot tear your eyes away from it you, it's jaw dropping and I watched and it slowly started to move very, you know, two, three miles an hour, moved up to 10 then 20 and then whoosh, it was gone behind this mountain, leaving a what, tracer what, of light. What year was this? Was this 92 or is it? That was 94. 94. I, I believe. Yeah. So uh, whew, that was probably one of my best sightings, but not my only one. You know, I've had a half dozen, Really good sightings, probably a dozen anomalous lights, but that one was so close up. I didn't get any messages or anything, <laughs> uh, but that made me realize, like, there is something to this.
and I know I'm connected. I mean, I've had contactees call me, cold call, right? This guy calls me from England. He says, are you Preston Bennett? I'm like, yes. He says, well, I don't know you. You don't know me. But I had a contact with Grays the other morning, and they said, you need to call Preston Dennett. I'm like, you're kidding me. He's like, no, that's what they told me. I didn't know who you are. But they said, I need to talk to you. I had interviewed another guy. And while I was on the phone with him, a UFO showed up. He didn't know, but another family in another room, another family member of his saw this object land on the street in front of their house while he was on the phone with me. I once asked the lady to go on TV, and she called me back later. ETs came. They said, we don't want you to go on television. So they are watching people very closely and I think are aware of me. Why didn't they want you to go on television? Uh, they didn't want her to go on television because they didn't want people to know about them at that point or about her experiences. And often that's how it turns out. But at some point, often they will say, they, we want you to talk about this. We want you to you know, write a book. We want you to speak about it. Uh, so there's sort of an enigma there a little bit. But yeah, on some level, I'm not going to call myself a contactee because I don't have, well, I guess on some level, I kind of have to. I've had missing time. Shoot. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you, but yeah. Well, I mean, the interest, you know, look, I, you know, as I mentioned, either in this episode or a previous episode, I've never, to my knowledge or memory, have never had any um, strange experiences like this. But if, you know, given, given the work you've done, I could understand why they would know you and, and kind of want to encourage it because you're, you're just documenting all these experiences and, yeah, after that, happened, after that happened, after that happened, I started surveying other researchers. So I thought, you know, is this a thing? If you investigate them, do they investigate you? Yes, absolutely. This is well known in the UFO community. Ed Conroy, a mainstream journalist, um, tackled the Whitley Strieber story, wanted to see if it yeah. was a hoax or not. And he ended up being abducted. So, <laughs> yeah, if you investigate them, watch out. Watch out, Sean. On that note, <laughs> well, uh, yeah, there's another another just random question. You may have never have heard this before. Um, you may have, but I found it somewhat intriguing. In the in the um, Bob Lazar kind of stories, he claims that in the in the literature that he examined, because when he took on a job at S four to work on you know, allegedly work on these um, extraterrestrial craft. He read like a briefing and apparently the ETs referred to humans as containers. Are you familiar with this? Yeah. What's your theory behind, I'm glad I asked that question because it sounds ominous, but I I can think of a bunch of other descriptions or theories that, it's it's not necessarily an ominous thing. What what's your take on what that means? And yeah, well, I can't disagree with it. I feel like we are containers. Um, people talk about you know life here on Earth, and this is it. You know, we are human beings, biological beings. You know, as a you know initially a materialist, that was my belief. You know, life is an evolutionary accident, and we die. 
ashes to ashes, dust to dust, and it's done. Uh, I don't think that that's the case now having researched all of this stuff. This is not demons, by the way. I looked into de demonology. Demons are probably real, but it's not UFOs. Uh, we are uh, biological beings, but we have a spirit. Mm -hmm. And if you look into the research of you know, OBEs and NDEs and mediumship and ghosts and so forth, it's pretty clear there is life after death. And our bodies are containers. And we come here to incarnate and come to Earth to have experience and learn certain things that you cannot learn in the higher dimensions. Uh, so I think that, yeah, it's an accurate <laughs> description of what we are as human beings. We are wearing flesh suits. We are, you know, having Meat suits, right? <laughs> yeah. We're filling containers. People talk about astral projection. Like I'm going out of my body to the other side. And I can talk about this with authority because I, you know, like I like to dive into this. If, you know, when I do ghost research, I want to see the ghost myself. I'm like, what OBEs are real and you can do this? Yes, you can. That's a another show, but yeah, that's definitely that's <laughs> definitely a whole other show. But, and that's, that's a show that I definitely <laughs> want to do with you. I don't know if um State just for the audience. Stay stay tuned. Um, probably not today. Probably not today. And I batch these, uh, Preston. So like, a lot of these will will be uh, aired. Probably not next week. One of them will probably air next week, and then they'll air the week after next. Right. Um, but, but but what I would say is that you know, in terms of astral projection, it's actually the reverse. We're projecting down here from our true home, which is the other side. And that we are immortal beings and we all have past lives and a dream body, a soul, you know, an astral body, call it what you will. But that's the true world. That's where we come from. And this is a pale reflection of it. I'm it's just... like Plato's, Plato's cave, right? Exactly. Yep. I'm telling you, I... I've written all these books. This is, I've done that this for my own <laughs> sanity to find out what this is. Uh, so I don't know. I don't have all the answers by any means. Please don't believe me. Look into this yourself. <laughs> You'll be amazed. But yeah, my books are available on Amazon. I do have a website. If you just Google my name, it'll take you there. So if you want to learn more, I've got excerpts for all my books. I've got a YouTube channel. I'm on Twitter and Facebook. This all these a links will all these links will be below. If if, if someone wanted to start, um reading your books what's the first book that they should look at oh you're gonna pick make me pick between my, all my babies huh all right uh, uh, um. let, me, let me be more specific <laughs> something that is um more of a survey type introduction to the literature so where can they start from like the highest level down before they get into all the uh because i imagine when you started writing you started at a very high level and then as you wrote more books the 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 material would get much more narrow. I'm guessing. I don't know if that's the case. Um, well, yeah, I've written quite a bit on the subject and the paranormal. Um, for a beginner, I would suggest a book I wrote for children, but it's really I didn't dumb it down by any means. But it's been very well received, which is Aliens and UFOs, which gives an overview of the subject. But most people, I think, are would probably enjoy my favorite book would be Onboard UFO Encounters mm -hmm. uh, because that one 
talks about people who've been taken on board. And that's the whole theme of, you know, it's, I think it's 15 different accounts. Uh, that, it's my, that's my favorite book and probably my most successful. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of them to choose from. I love the book I wrote about healing cases because that's unique and uh, shows a really benevolent side. But I also wrote one about UFOs hovering over schoolyards. And that was shocking to me because that's something I found out just recently was a thing. I had no idea. Uh, but that is absolutely one of their agendas. Um, so, yeah, I've covered all different aspects of this phenomena. So there's a lot to pick and choose from depending on your interest. All right. Well, Preston, I appreciate the time. I spent a lot of hours together <laughs> today. Um, and I thought the material is very fascinating. And you answered some questions that I, I didn't even realize that there were good answers to. So I appreciate it. And I hope, um, and people should definitely check out Preston site. Like it's like these interviews on steroids. Like there's just a ton of information, very detailed imagery and, um, you should definitely check it out. So thank you again, my friend. It's always a pleasure. Hey, I really appreciate it. Thank you, Sean. See you soon. All right. 